thing about this time of year is every year in college football, we have non-fans elevate to casual fans. We have casual fans elevate to diehard fans. And no matter if I just described you or not, you're about to find out, especially if you're new around here. So if I did describe you, if you're new around here, you're about to find out how different this sport hits in November and December and in some cases January because everything about the sport happens on top of each other. So you've got the stretch run for conference title games and the playoff and you've got playoff rankings happening. Simultaneous to that, you've got firings happening and then you've got recruiting happening but some folks who are currently recruiting for you are then going to be recruiting against you because they're about to get new jobs. Then this thing called the transfer portal opens up in early December and you've got an early signing day coming and then you play playoff games and a national championship game and somehow we're supposed to fit Christmas in there as well so welcome to Late Kick Live we are jam-packed high atop a very on guard downtown Nashville Tennessee I have returned from State College Pennsylvania flew in this morning and you and I haven't spoken since Jim Harbaugh got suspended by the Big Ten but we will tonight. I saw his team in person yesterday. We will discuss that game. I've got full takeaways from week 11. Jimbo Fisher's been fired today, and believe me, I've got a lot to say about that, and we'll have more to say about it in the coming days. We have got to just momentarily let you know where we're going to be in week 12. I don't see any reason to wait later in the show. I'm going to get it right off the top tonight. i got some early best bets for you. There is an absolute jam-packed show in front of me here. Time is not a factor tonight, so we'll go as long as we need to. Immunity. I got to tell you, they're watching us in Romania. They're watching us in Richmond, Virginia. They're watching us in Salt Lake City, Utah, and Huntsville, Alabama. As I told you, we were on the sideline for Penn State, Michigan yesterday. They always treat us good up there. Awesome environment. I love big noon kickoff. I know a lot of you guys wanted the night game. I love big noon kickoff. Because, well, we can get home. So that's personal preference. Anyway, a lot of people were in the inbox asking me, where are you going to go this next week? And it was a really interesting slate of games this upcoming weekend. But you know what? The more I dived in and the more I frankly listened to you, the more it became clear there's only one place for us to be. And then I thought about it again on the flight this morning. I'm like, where else would we be this weekend? And I know that not every pregame show out there shares my affinity for the matchup that we're going to witness, but who cares? We live our own life around here. So the Once Upon a Saturday Tour for Week 12 is headed that way, the Pacific Northwest. We're headed to Corvallis, Oregon, and I'm going to tell you why. Because Washington's playing Oregon State Saturday. Have you watched these teams play? Have you seen the rankings next to their names? Do you understand what's on the line up here? I don't think some of you do, but we do. So we're going to Washington versus Oregon State, and I can't wait because I've never been to an Oregon State game before. So we're, we're checking all the boxes that we want to check on the Once Upon a Saturday tour, and we will have the T-shirt out tomorrow at PateStateMaterial.com. But that's for tomorrow, and that's for later this week. Let's dive into tonight's show. Oh, let me tweet this out right quick. Okay, now let's dive into tonight's show because, buddy, we've got one on our hands tonight. Texas A&M fired Jimbo Fisher today. It's absolutely how to handle this kind of decision. It's a bombshell announcement. I don't think anyone woke up this morning, this side of Billy Lucci, expecting to be reading that headline or releasing that headline. But the headline is out now, and it's real. And it is, um, it is about as far-reaching a headline in terms of impact as you can get in college football. 
I said college football for a reason, not just Texas A&M. The particulars here, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because everyone's talking about the numbers and the buyout. $77.5 million buyout. He gets every dime of it. He's 45 and 25 in his six seasons there. Uh, They signed a 10-year, $75 million deal in 2017. They doubled down in 2021. And it was now $95 million through 2031, fully guaranteed, just an asinine contract, but it was what it was. He has owed $19.3 million over the next 60 days. The rest will come via annual payments of $7.2 million through 2031. Again, we all get how crazy that is. We all understand that there are people out there who cannot rub two dead flies together, and they're sitting here watching a guy being paid 70-some-odd million dollars not to coach football. Have fun with that. Yes, it's a headline, but it's kind of low-hanging fruit at this point. Uh, I want to talk about how this happened. I want to talk about how jarring this was to get alerted to this morning. And also, I want to tell you, I didn't necessarily think they were going to make this move this year. I probably felt a little bit more leaning towards that over the past couple of weeks. Uh, But talk to some people as close to the situation outside of Jimbo as you could get. And you know what? The more I listen to them, the more I think, Texas A&M handled this decision as effectively as you could once you've made the decision. Here's what you can't have. What you can't have is you can't have this be in limbo, and you can't have new reports every 12 hours. I cannot stand in the modern day of hot seat and hirings and firings. You have to refresh Twitter or X or whatever you want to call that nowadays uh, because some national reporter has a new source and a new headline every hour about the latest on fill-in-the-blanks job status. Dude, if you're going to make the move, make the move. What you don't do is what programs like LSU did a few years ago, and you let it leak out that the guy's probably going to get fired, but we're going to let him coach the rest of the season. Well, all of a sudden, he pulls off a miraculous upset, gets carried off the field on his players' shoulders, and overwhelmingly, perception shifts, and you keep a guy who should very well have been a dead man walking, and he coaches like one the next year, and he's fired. You don't get yourself in that situation. You make the decision, uh, which was not made, obviously, yesterday because they hung half a hundred on Mississippi State. You make the decision, let the following game play out if you must, and boom, you drop the axe, and that's exactly what they did. You cannot keep reading the same book and expect a different ending, and that's kind of what it felt like watching Jimbo Fisher-led teams. I'm the first to tell you, so many close losses. Oh, man, if they just didn't have this injury here or this injury there, uh, if they just tweaked this or that, if they just benefited from this turnover margin or that bounce of ball. And that's all well and good if it's the story of a season. That's the story of Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, though. And so what was going to happen? You know, I was having a conversation with someone today, and we were talking this through, and you kind of arrived at the same conclusion. What was going to happen? If you made the argument for him to get one more year, what was going to happen? In other words, what ace was he going to pull out of his back pocket? What what rabbit was he going to pull out of the hat? What move was he going to make that he hadn't already made? I mean, if he knows to do something, he should have already done it. It's not year two. It was year six. He's over half a decade into the tenure there. And a lot of the things that were plaguing them up until the last minute were the same things that have plagued them his entire time there. And so Jimbo's out. Uh, He's going to get paid handsomely, and it'll largely be not a forgettable era, uh, but it'll be an era that probably you look back on and you say, what could have been? But you don't have to say it with a long face if you're an A&M fan, because now you get another shot to find out. And this is really where my mind was, because quickly after this headline, 
was released. And, and Billy Lucci and the guys over at Texags were on top of it. After that headline was released, the iJosh starts going off. And thankfully, Delta's in-flight Wi-Fi was working today because I had lengthy conversations at 35,000 feet via text with, um, shall we say, some people who were going to figure into this coaching search to varying degrees of prominence. I don't really think most of the country realizes how twofold significant this is. This is a bombshell about as big as it gets in college football. And I'm going to tell you why. Number one, it's obvious the A&M job is open. But the mistake that the more casual-minded fan makes is they think that affects Texas A&M. Texas A&M is a keystone job, meaning that everything works downstream of what they do. There are about half a dozen of them in college football with enough money to warrant that distinction. Alabama's one, Ohio State's one, A&M is one. They don't have the trophy case that those other places have, but they have the checkbook to have a ripple effect that goes across the entire pond of college football. So what I mean by a keystone program is no different than when I say it in nature about an animal. A keystone species, when they do something, it infects the entire ecosystem. When A&M does what they're about to do in this hiring cycle, it will affect in some shape, form, or fashion, everybody in college football. And the way that happens is they hire a head coach, and you're looking over here as like an Arkansas State fan, and unbeknownst to you, your defensive coordinator is about to get hired for a position job. And then all of a sudden, you in Jonesboro, Arkansas, have been affected by Jimbo Fisher being fired, and you never saw it coming. By the way, I just picked that university and that position out of thin air. I don't know anything on that front, at least. But number two... Do you understand what this is about to mean when the transfer portal opens? Because this is all coaches wanted to talk about today. Aside from the ones that may be candidates for this job, every other coach is licking their chops because you rarely get a situation where a roster this loaded is without a head coach entering transfer portal season. Everybody knows it's coming. Frankly, even if Jimbo was retained, a lot of the players on this roster, a lot of the players that were part of that number one class of all time a couple of years ago, were going in the portal. Some big names are going to go in the portal from Texas A&M. They knew it. I think outsiders know it. Everybody's been waiting and biding their time in anticipation for it. And now that Jimbo Fisher's out the door, you can bet your bottom dollar that several big-time names from College Station are going to be um, playing elsewhere next season. And that's just the way it is, Bruce Hornsby style. That right there is another impact piece of this that will have ripple effects that are felt throughout the entire sport. I want you to think about watching Florida State yesterday against Miami. You know, Michigan State goes into a tailspin. Keon Coleman decides he doesn't want to be there anymore. He transfers to Florida State. Just that one move could very well have changed the trajectory of the ACC championship picture this year. It may be one of the core pieces of what gets Florida State into the playoff. And that's, that's the impact that one star player can have when he goes in the portal and goes elsewhere to play. I'm not, I'm not telling you there are a bunch of Keon Coleman's on AM's roster. I'm telling you there are game changer, difference makers, both sides of the ball on AM's roster that are about to go in the portal. And some teams on the brink of playoff contention, some teams that are bona fide playoff contenders, are going to watch that happen, and they're all going to come running. So that's, that's twofold why this is a big deal. And then 
I want to also just briefly talk about this coaching search that's about to happen in specific terms for Texas A&M. I did not expect to get the pushback I've gotten on this because, frankly, uh, I've said that already too many times tonight. Honestly, what I'm about to play for you is common sense. I mean, talking to power players in the industry, folks who are involved in the, the mechanisms of coaching searches, including coaches themselves, None of them. Like, I've got 100% agreement on this from them. And it's about the caliber of the job. It, the, not the program, the job. Being the head coach at Texas A&M and what that makes you capable of. So I want to take you back about a month ago when we started feeling like this job could come open. And I wanted to go ahead and, as we would say in the meteorological world, moisten the column a little bit. No immunity because it's a weather term. I wanted to go ahead and have this out there so that when Jimbo did get fired, if he did, I could just snap my fingers and Colin could play this. If the Texas A&M job were to come open, you would quickly realize the coaching industry views the A&M job way different than fans do. Fans look at the A&M job as a second or third tier job. You are outside your mind. Everything you need to win national championships is there. Also, I'm not talking potential. It's literally there. It is a turnkey contender for the right staff. The right staff comes in there and wins overnight with the pieces that have already been assembled and the infrastructure that's already been built. There is no external factor keeping A&M from being a premier program. Everything that's keeping A&M from being a premier program is internal. All due respect to Missouri, there are external factors working against Missouri. There is no external factor working against Texas A&M. I view that as common sense. That was my mistake. Apparently, it's not common sense. It is like arguing with brick walls. I love you guys. I love you to death. Smart people can have casual takes all the time. And to put it bluntly, some of you have very casual takes on this. Colin, could you show me the tweets? These are just three out of a grab bag that is in the hundreds now of tweets that people sent in response to that. I'm going to read them to you. Uh, tweet number one. Seriously, other than a year or two in the last 50 years, when has it ever been a top-tier job? Money's not the issue. Access to prospects or building facilities. It's just a wannabe program with tons of cash. But what, what do you think the currency is in this sport? What do you think it takes to build all the other? Anyway, I digress. Tweet number two. Yeah, only because of the money they can spend, not because of program history and success. <clears throat> I think a lot of you listening or watching right now already understand how misguided this is. But for those of you who don't, I will calmly walk you through it in the next minute. I had another reply. In the last 28 years, they've had 10 wins as a program only two times. Seriously, think about that. Sure, they can flash some money around, but some things money can't buy. The inability for a sizable chunk of the college football public to distinguish trophy case from caliber of job is fascinating to me because I didn't know this existed. I thought most people understood that the reason Texas A&M has underachieved is not because they lack the critical factors that it takes to be an elite program. They've made horrific decisions in hiring. This happens sometimes, by the way. Like, for example, I'm from the state of Georgia. Folks sat there, banged on Georgia for a decade and another decade, and another decade. And then all of a sudden, they hired some dude named Kirby Smart. And it didn't matter to Kirby Smart that Georgia hadn't won a title since the advent of MTV. Didn't hold him back a bit. You know why? Because he's an elite coach. Kirby Smart 
if he was at Texas A&M, would do exactly what he's doing at Georgia. Nick Saban, if he took the A&M job in 07 instead of Bama, would do exactly what he's doing at Alabama. Elite coaches are going to win anywhere they have elite resources. They have the critical traits and the boxes checked. They have that at A&M. The difference is they have not harnessed that in an effort to hire the right candidate. They've hired Kevin Sumlin. They've hired Jimbo Fisher. Good coaches, but not great coaches. So they've gotten good results. They haven't gotten great results. And yet, I'm sitting here asking anyone who disagrees with me, what do they lack? Tell me what they have at Alabama that makes it a great job, not a great program. Tell me what they have at Georgia. Tell me what they have at Ohio State. And everything you list, if you know what you're talking about, they've got, in some cases, in more abundant supply at Texas A&M than they have at these other places. And yet it always falls back to, to the nuggle-dragging, mouth-breathing, how many trophies have they won? It's like looking at Roger Bannister. You fool. You can't run a sub-four-minute mile. You know why? No one's ever done it before. Like, imagine an elite head coach. I, I, I just, I'll just list names because you guys are throwing them out there. Imagine someone like Dan Lanning. You know what? Forget Lanning. Let's just say Kirby Smart got tired at Georgia and AM went and got Kirby Smart. You watch Kirby Smart, purely hypothetical, of course. You watch Kirby Smart walk up the steps, take the stage, stand behind the podium. Are you seriously looking and saying, well, that's it for him? Everyone knows elite coaches can't win at AM because it's not a top tier job. How stupid would that be? They haven't hired the right guy. That's the long and short of it. And I've got too lengthy a show to stay on this for another 10 minutes, but. I don't know. I, I don't know what else to say. I'm right on this. This is not even opinion. I'm just right on it. Humbly. Humbly. I'm right on this. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Uh, Michigan beat Penn State 24-15 to yesterday. I was on the sidelines for this one. Surprisingly nice weather. I came equipped with layers, and I didn't really need them. But I did roll the dice in this game. I think famously last week, I was one of the only ones out there who picked Penn State. So, I rolled those dice, and the dice fell off the table. So I figured, why bury the lead? Colin, let's go full Sarah McLaughlin special here. I have in my hand a copy of the play sheet for Michigan. Michigan chose to end this game with the following play selection. <clears throat> Allow me to share. Run, 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 run. Uh, this is where it gets really interesting. Run, 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 pass interference. Run, 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 end of game. That is like looking at a seal and clubbing it and then clubbing it some more and some more. And eventually you realize the seal can't do anything. Look at how defenseless it is. Now, it's not exactly a PETA-friendly metaphor, but that's what I witnessed yesterday. So it wasn't a blowout in classical terms on the scoreboard. I had a very weird feeling standing on the field watching this. Because normally, if you witness a single-digit margin, which this was for a vast majority of the game, you rarely look at it and say, dude, that other team didn't have much of a chance. But yet, I asked producer Jesse, very long in the face today, when I walked in the building, I said, Jesse, let's just say we play this thing nine more times. How many of these games do you think Penn State wins? I, I got to be real with you guys. Just the feel that the game had, I don't think they would have won one. And I never say that. 
I never say that because I know how the margins are so thin in this sport. I know what Drew Aller not turning that ball over instead of turning it over. Like, I get that. But what I felt was Michigan had it in them to do whatever they needed to do. McCarthy threw the ball eight times yesterday. It's not because he couldn't. It's because they didn't need to. They probably had so much in the tank. In fact, I can guarantee you they had so much in the tank. Because I was outside the locker room. I walked with them off the field. I was outside the locker room after the game. Uh, they could have gone full Ernie Banks style. They could have said, you want to play two? Okay, let's just play two. It was, a, it was a very juiced team. And I don't think that's much of a surprise to you. But, man, Michigan, they got stunned just slightly to start the game. And then it didn't really matter. Such a veteran-laden team. They couldn't do stuff they wanted to do the first couple of drives. They adjusted. You could feel it. You could feel it start to shift on the field. You could see it on the broadcast. And then they rip a couple of long runs. They didn't run it for 400. They didn't need to. They ran it for over 200, though. They were the physically superior team. I'm telling you, a nine-point win felt so much larger than that. I'm pretty sure they had it in them to do whatever they needed to do. Had, Had Penn State answered... I think there would have been counter answers on the Michigan side. I thought back watching this game to being down in Miami a couple of years ago when this team played Georgia in a semifinal. And after the game, I remember I came back on the show and I told you guys, you know, Georgia won this thing in a route. It wasn't competitive. But I do remember standing on the field and it was right, I remember it was right before New Year's, right before the stroke of midnight. And McCarthy and Blake Corum and some other of their young kids are standing there and they're, they're just off. They're not seeking attention. They're like off near the tunnel. I happen to be standing over there. So I saw them and they're watching the Georgia celebration. And I remember thinking to myself, those dudes are going to get a couple of more cracks at this because I'm looking at true freshmen. And then they got another shot last year. Didn't go their way last year. But it kind of led up to this moment. You couldn't have known that was coming. You, when these kids are true freshmen getting beat by Georgia and they're standing there swallowing a bitter pill like that and soaking it in, you could never know that they're kind of being molded for two years down the road, their head coach is going to be suspended, and it doesn't matter. doesn't matter because what Jim Harbaugh has there is now a player-led team. That You want to know what the best test of culture is? Take your hands off the wheel. Harbaugh was forced to take his hands off the wheel. The car didn't veer a bit. I mean, there are coaches out there terrified to even turn their back on their team, most of them because they're younger teams or they don't have a solid culture. Harbaugh gets forcibly removed from his team, hands are off the wheel, that thing's on autopilot, but in the best of ways. Uh, They were as razor-focused as I've ever seen a team. They went in there and handled business, and then afterwards could have been a lot more demonstrative than they were, Sharon Moore notwithstanding, obviously, on the postgame. Cut an attitude-era promo on Fox, I heard. I was standing there. I didn't know that some of that got out on live TV. But it's just... All the good teams, the ones that are there in the end, they normally have that in common. They are player-led. You talk to coaches on those teams, and they'll tell you, you know, all we kind of had to be was like the bumpers. If you've ever been bumper bowling, I myself would never. But if you've ever witnessed bumper bowling, the bumpers are just there to kind of guide the ball a little bit. It's not the ball itself. The ball itself is taking care of business. The players are taking care of business. Coaches are just there. Uh, Here's the practice schedule for this week. Uh, Let's make sure attention to detail is on this drill the way it needs to be. The players are running the team. The players run the team at Michigan. The players on Saban's best teams have run the team at Alabama. Ditto at Georgia. Ditto at Ohio State. Clemson's best teams were like that. 
That's what Harbaugh's got now. That's why it didn't matter that he wasn't on the sideline yesterday. I'd be careful worshiping the box score on this game, too. Be careful because you're going to look at it. If you didn't know any better and you hadn't watched Michigan this year, you'd look at it and you'd say, this looks like a service academy box score. They threw the ball eight times. McCarthy was seven for eight. If you don't know any better, you may think to yourself, that's Michigan's brand. That's their style of play. They're 80% to the run. Well, of course they're not. They did that yesterday because they knew Penn State couldn't answer, because Penn State couldn't score. They couldn't move the ball. So there's no reason to insert risk or variance by putting the ball in the air when you don't have to. But if they do have to down the road, I think they can. I think McCarthy's capable of that. I think Roman Wilson and those guys, they're fully capable of that. Maybe not going for 350 or 400 through the air, but be very careful. There will be false conclusions drawn off this. And mark my words, down the road, a couple of weeks, you'll be watching that game set up in Ann Arbor. Ohio State's coming to town, and folks will they'll start saying, hey, we just got to shut him down on the ground. If we can force McCarthy to throw the ball on us, I like our chances. Remember, he didn't even throw the ball 10 times, or maybe they didn't trust him to throw the ball 10 times. They trust that dude to run that entire offense. They, they trust him implicitly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I got more to say on this game in just a second. Uh, by the way, we had multiple Academy Sports and Outdoors open. Um, well, we have them opening all month. We had a couple of them open this past week, and I challenged you. If you make it to a grand opening and you prove that you were there, I'm taking five of you at random. I am sending Chalai of Supremacy, which is, which is this thing right here that I sip this questionable liquid out of, non-alcoholic, of course. And I am giving you until tonight so tonight's the deadline. I've already given out a couple of them. Got three more to give away. Academy Sports and Outdoors, one-stop shop for all things outdoor sporting goods supplies, tailgating, etc. Giving away two tickets to the SEC championship game. Giving away $10,000 in Academy gift cards to one person, by the way. All you got to do is download the Academy app and log in. All you gots to do. Unless you live in Hawaii or Alaska uh, Jesse, what are the other ones? California and New York. Sorry, I'll, I'll find you a consolation prize. But the rest of the continental U.S., you're in the game. We appreciate Academy. I uh, was talking to them today. They're, you know, they're headquartered down there in Texas, so they have a vested interest on this Texas A&M situation. So let me get back to this for a second. Let me get back to this Michigan thing, because um, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about Jim Harbaugh being suspended it happened on Friday night. I was in a hotel room in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And so I figured, let's let the game play out and then let's talk about it on Sunday. The 24 hours leading up to that game were surreal. Like, I don't know that people fully appreciate because you heard rumblings that it was coming all week. I don't think fully, people fully appreciate the impact of what you witnessed. You, you witnessed a, a major head coach of an undefeated team tracking for conference title, maybe playoff forcibly removed by his own conference as an investigation is ongoing. Imagine saying that to yourself in August. Imagine our friend the alien comes down and the alien looks around and, says, and that translates to, where's Jim Harbaugh? 
and you're impressed that the alien knows the head coach of a Big Ten program, and then you tell him, well, he's not here. And then the alien, why? And you say, well, he got suspended. And the alien wants to know, oh, in response to the conclusion of what investigation? And you have to say, nobody. Investigation's still ongoing, but punishment's already been handed down. Like I said, pretty surreal. Michigan, as an organization, kind of sort of put on a clinic yesterday on how to handle crisis management. Dr. McCullough down at Columbus State University taught my crisis management class and uh, got a solid B, got a solid B in that class. I like to think I handle myself well in, or myself well in crisis or crises. I've been in several, obviously, but I, I look, I was there yesterday, man. I was there when they got off the bus. I was there when those buses pulled out. So I was around that organization the entire day. I say organization intentionally because it ain't just 85 scholarship players and some walk-ons that you take on the road. Everybody was horse race blinder mentality on. Everyone was razor focused sharp, uh, razor sharp focused on on the task at hand. And like I said, Mima used to always tell me, you want to know what the true test of culture is. You find out if you take your hands off the wheel. So Harbaugh takes his hands off the wheel, and if anything, team just sped up yesterday and ran over Penn State in the process. So I took it upon myself to talk to a number of the Michigan fans who were there yesterday, and they represented themselves well, by the way, numerically. And I had robust conversation with several of you because some of you didn't like the way I talked about Michigan last week. And then I found out a lot of you had conflated what a lot of the national media types had said and just assumed I said the same thing. That was like 80% of my interactions, by the way. So I dismissed those because you were just wrong, like you didn't hear what I actually said. Some of you did hear what I said and you disagreed with it, which is fine. So to be very clear where I stand on this, I think that Michigan did something wrong. Um, I think the way the conference handled it is a joke. I think it, it... came off extremely poor. I think Michigan comes out looking better as of this moment than their conference does because I think they handled it better. So obviously they got some folks with some experience in said fields uh, advising behind the scenes up there. I think Jim Harbaugh should have known what was happening in his program. And to tell me he didn't is really irrelevant because I'm telling you I think he should know what's going on in his program. And the other thing, this is really, to me, the key distinction. I don't think this is the end of the world. It's not the, the biggest scandal, blah, 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 as some people have made it out to be. I don't care what kind of competitive advantage you tell me you think you got. That's irrelevant to me. And that is where a vast majority of the argument has, has shifted to. And, like, I don't care, man. I, in other words, in sign-stealing in baseball, I don't care if you go 0 for 5 with 5 strikeouts. If I find out that you illegally acquired my signs, I'm going to punish you the same way as if you hit 5 bombs off of me. So I don't, I've never cared about that from the outset here. Because I, I got one person over here that says it's worth 10 points a game. I got another person over here saying, no, 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 no. It, it's, it's irrelevant, man. Maybe it makes a, a microcosm of a difference. I don't care because that's all subjective. You can't prove it one way or another. You're not going to come to me and say, we shouldn't be punished because you know what? The teams that we've already played, we didn't need any added advantage against. We would have beaten them anyway. It's irrelevant. All that's irrelevant. So that's been my opinion on this. And that's about the end of it. I haven't trafficked in a lot of what you've heard some of the other folks out there say, and that's, that's their prerogative. 
Um, so, you know, I, I went back and forth with some Michigan folks yesterday. I had like five different handshakes, agree to disagree, let's go our separate ways. But the storm is winding down for Michigan. I don't think people really get this now. Everything that's going to be thrown at Michigan has been thrown at them. I'm not so convinced that there are any kind of new allegations or, or evidence of more impropriety that's going to come out. I largely think we know what there is to know about Michigan. And if there's anything else, I think it'll be small layers, not anything above and beyond what we already know. The head coach has been suspended. And obviously, as of yesterday, it's not exactly on track to derail this team in any way. So the storm for Michigan, to me, is kind of winding down. But the storm itself is not winding down. Because now, I think it'd be wise to start to shift your attention a little bit to, all right, well, what's their full-on response going to be? Because it could be multifaceted in and of itself. You know, you know Michigan made very little, very little doubt last week about the fact that we got information, too. Just hadn't spilled a lot of it yet. Are they right? Will they? Have they to the proper authorities? And number two is not only what do they know, but how angry are they, I guess is the best way to put it. I asked some folks with the Michigan program yesterday, long-term, years down the road, how different do things look because of this? And I think everything's on the table. I don't think any rash decision is going to be made, but I don't think anything's been taken off the table. I'm talking about affiliation with the Big Ten. I'm talking about where, you know, what they call home, where they call home long term. I think all that's in play. Selfishly, if I were them, I'd probably feel the same way. Um, I'm not them, so I'm on the outside looking in wondering, wow, mm, like, is that what it's going to come to? I don't know. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that's the attitude. Because I'm telling you now, as strong as people feel on one side of this fence, they feel every bit as strong on that side of the fence. And my kind of unique situation I found myself in is I, I get both sides. Like I'm readily sitting here telling you, I think some kind of action should have been taken against them. I don't necessarily know that I would align in course of action with what Tony Petiti and the Big Ten has decided to do, but I think some kind of action was warranted. However, I'd be beside myself if I were associated with Michigan or a Michigan fan at the way it's been handled, and I would also go full bunker mentality, us against the world for the rest of the year. I mean, I'd harness it. What else can you do with it? I'd harness it. There was a, another side of this coin yesterday. I got plenty more to talk about. I just I need to touch on this right quick, and then we got several more games. I got best bets. I got all kind of stuff. James Franklin lost yesterday. Penn State lost yesterday. Interesting experience post-game. Talked to a bunch of Penn State fans in the stands as it was emptying out. I mean, stopping at gas stations up there. Folks are coming up to me and saying, don't hold back tomorrow night. Say what needs to be said. Just be honest. You don't need to treat us with kid gloves. And, uh, you know, the overwhelming sentiment was, what more could we do, man? Like, we, we as a Penn State people, a PSP, what more can we do? Kind of the same sentiment that I get from A&M fans. What more can we do? We give, we give, we give. Emotionally, financially, we give. And um, we're not getting the result that we want. We're not bad. You know, Penn State's a lot better off as a team right now than A&M was. We're, we're not bad, but we're not aiming to be a solid three in the Big Ten. That's not the goal here. And I'm not suggesting it's the goal of James Franklin I'm just saying I get, you kind of sound like a Finch writer, I guess. You can label me if you want to. Kind of get both sides of that, too. I, like, I, I'm, I'm one who sits here and defends James Franklin. 
And I'll, I'll give you the reason for that in a second. But if I'm a Penn State fan, dude, there's no way that I'm sitting in the stands yesterday watching a, a, a horrific offensive performance as the one we saw yesterday and just stomaching that. I'd want change. By the way, we got change today. James Franklin earlier this afternoon fired Mike Yursich. He relieved him of his duties as offensive coordinator. So obviously he didn't look at it much more favorably than we did. But the current situation there, I hate to put it this way, is a championship caliber defense is going to be wasted. Not wasted in a sense that there's nothing gained this year. This could be a 10-win team. But it is a program that has produced a team this year that had goals and aspirations much higher than that. So action's been taken. Uh, This doesn't save anything this year, but it was tough. It was tough to stand there and watch that excuse for an offensive performance yesterday. Just nothing. There was never a threat. You never felt like they were a threat to do anything. It was almost like a yawn for Michigan's defensive backs. There wasn't really much to pay attention to for them the uh, the entire afternoon. So... The program isn't miles away, but as you could imagine, I came on the show last week. I, again, shared what I thought was common sense, and what I shared was I never called Franklin an elite head coach. I've never called Penn State an elite program. I'm very intentional with my words. I say they're a very good program. I say Franklin is a good to very good head coach. Uh, What that means is there are not a ton of coaches I would list above him. There are a ton of coaches I would list beneath him. So naturally, someone comes at you every time he loses a game, and then they say, well, what now? What now? So last week, I tried to put a number next to this, and I came up with the stat, which is now 3-17, and 17, against top 10 teams in his time at Penn State. And I said, well, that doesn't prove he's overrated because he's only been a favorite in one of those games. And he, he won that game, and he's won two other games. And people had a problem. They said, well, point spreads aren't the best metric. Instead, hype media hype. That's what makes him overrated. Dude, I don't care about media hype. I'm telling you, the barometer I choose to judge how you're performing against an expectation is the barometer of people who set lines on these games for a living. I do not care what your salary is. I know that's a little bit of a controversial take. I don't care what your salary is, and I don't care what media says about you. And I say that as a dude who's part of media. I don't care. Um, to me, your salary, and I'm not saying this about Franklin, I'm saying this as a general thought, your salary sometimes is just proof that your boosters were dumb enough to pay you that much money. Again, that's not aimed towards Franklin. That is a generic comeback I always have when people want to tell me, well, since he makes this much, we should expect this from him. I don't think that way. I understand people who do. I just have a different philosophy on that. I want to know what the smartest expectation level in the room is that's been set for you. How are you performing relative to that? So anyway, Franklin lost a game yesterday he was supposed to lose in terms of point spread. And I had folks coming at me, obviously, saying, well, what do you think about him now? I think the same thing I thought last week. I think he's a really good coach in a conference where you're going to have to be better than really good to win it. I think there are two above him, and I think there are, what, 11 beneath him. So that is the definition of pretty good. And it's not elite, and I've never said it is, and yet I have this argument, and every time I do, well, he's never won a national title. Yeah, I didn't say he was. That would make him elite. Well, well, where are the conference championships? Well, he's got one. Um, That's it. I didn't say he was elite, though. Uh, People give me reasoning, and it's fill in the blank. Like, why is he not, and whatever's in the blank is 
equivalent to elite. And I say, well, the reason is because I never said he was elite. So you're not disagreeing with me, even though you think you are. That program's not far away. It's not miles away. There are, like I said last year, and I'll say it again this year, you got to make minor changes to get major results. You'd be just shocked at what the right hire at offensive coordinator, for example, could do here. Hey, what's the right hire at defensive coordinator done for him? The problem is you don't just get to maintain all that. Like, you don't get to keep Manny Diaz forever. You don't get to keep that caliber of defense forever and just keep trying things offensively. That's why you got to thread the needle when you have these windows because they're not guaranteed. Let's move on. I need to do one thing right quick, and that is type in my password on this laptop so that I can make sure I monitor... I'm just really, I'm really uh, paranoid about news breaking during the show because I never know if Bradley's taking a nap. So I never know if I'm going to be informed of anything or not. Okay, so far we're good. Uh, large, large contingent, like 10,000 people watching live. Do me a favor, because some of you are here probably for the first time. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Uh, that's the way you keep this show free. Like, that's it. No hidden catch. Subscribe to the channel. And then go steal your mom's phone and subscribe her too because what she doesn't know, in this case, will not hurt her. Georgia beat Ole Miss uh, into a coma last night, 52-17. to 17. They clinched the SEC East. We've got Georgia versus Bama in the SEC championship game again, and uh, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. Brock Bowers, a living, breathing alien amongst us, returned yesterday. And he played and, uh, you know, with a repaired ankle, did all kinds of things that a human shouldn't be able to do. He should probably still be in a wheelchair. Most of you would. I'm, I'm speaking to you as a guy who got sidelined for five days with food poisoning a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I don't think Brock Bowers would have missed two shows. That's just the way I'm going to put it to you. So anyway, before I mention anything on this game, I got to go to the post game because um, I thought Drake Stoops of Oklahoma had one of the great pieces of sound last week. But outside of that, when it comes to coaches talking, Kirby Smart talked for Brock Bowers post game. And I suspected that there were going to be people in that kid's ear telling him not to play. It's not worth the risk. Because there are casuals all over the place. Some of them happen to be agents. And they got in Brock Bowers' ear. And uh, it's not shocking that Brock Bowers chose to play. But Kirby Smart shed a little light on the decision-making behind that process afterwards. Take a listen to this. Well, people called him and told him that, and, and those people will not be representing him, I can promise you that, because all I did was piss him off. And he said, I, I have I had people call and, and tell me that I shouldn't play, coach. And he said, that just drives me crazy. He wants me to play, wants me, makes me want to play more to prove them wrong. He said, why am I in this game if I'm not going to come back and play? I mean, there, there, he's, not, he's not risking millions, guys. He's, he's, he's has an opportunity to get more millions. Like, it's the other way. It's not the way because he's a great player. The NFL knows people heal. Like, they heal from that injury. They've had tons of that same injury in the NFL. So all he did was go out and stamp himself as a, a warrior that said, I'm going to go out here and practice on Tuesday in front of 15 scouts. Then I'm going to practice on Wednesday in front of 12 scouts, and they're all going to be over going, oh, my God. And he's got an opportunity to move up because of who he is. Well, paint state material, Kirby. You could just say paint state material. Everyone would know what you mean. So the game was tied at 14. Just enough to draw in an audience, basically. This game's tied at 14. I got back to my hotel in Harrisburg last night. Game's tied at 14, and I, I'm stupid enough to say, oh, Lane's got something for him tonight. And so uh, we went back and checked. 
With 14 minutes and 12 seconds to go in the second quarter, it was 14 to 14. With 14, 12 left to go in the fourth quarter, it was 45 to 14. So Georgia just not so casually rips off 31 unanswered. Padlock stat here. If I tell you this on Friday, you need to know nothing else about this game. Georgia averaged 8.6 yards per carry. And Kendall Milton, who has been injured nine ways from Sunday, had his career game yesterday. Good for him, by the way. Nine carries, 127 yards, two touchdowns. I, I said I thought last week the key was not letting Jackson Dart do a lot of what Peyton Thorne for Auburn did. Like, I think that Georgia on the wrong Saturday is susceptible to QB run messing a lot of what they do up. Well, uh, Kirby Smart thought that too, and they're just, they're not going to let it happen. And Jackson Dart yesterday, eight carries for 20 yards. This game came down to what games have come down to since the beginning of time. Since God invented football, the game has come down to the following. Who has players? And every now and then an upset convinces you that players and talent is not the end-all be-all. Like the, the one or two times out of ten make you ignore the eight or nine other instances out of ten. And it always helps if we have Lane Kiffin in the room because Lane Kiffin is probably the most brutally honest coach this side of Rush Probst who has ever roamed a sideline. And Lane Kiffin had this to say afterwards. We got to recruit at a higher level. Um, and I'm not blaming people. We got to coach better. Um, but, you know, at some point, those, whatever those stats are, we've signed one five star, they've signed 24 or something. Those kind of do show up at some point. So, um, we would, we'd have to recruit it at a better level, do a better job um, recruiting. Dude, they're so good, man. Like, Georgia's so good. I, I say talent is the end-all, be-all. Actually, I didn't say that. That's a trick. Talent's not the end-all, be-all. They acquire it, and they develop it. And yet again, Georgia's turned into an ignition team. If you're new to the program, uh, we got, like, our own dictionary of terms, like Phil Steele. We have to have a guide in front of the show. But ignition teams are what we're looking for every November. And it's usually a team that's got plus-level coaching, and a plus-level to elite-level roster. And for obvious reasons, when you combine those ingredients, they start to pretty, pretty significantly scale their level of play when it, when it comes time to in November. Georgia's doing that. Bama's absolutely doing that. Ohio State's doing that. Now, I know these are the usual suspects, but you got some other teams out there that are in these waters for the first time. You noticed yesterday, didn't you, how there were some teams out there that won by one possession against teams, you know, kind of comparable to what Ole Miss is to Georgia. Georgia doesn't do that. Like, Georgia didn't mess around with Ole Miss. Bama didn't mess around with Kentucky. They throttled them. They pulled away from them. They, they well, in, in Bama's case, emptied the road stadium. In Georgia's case, they made you turn the channel long before the final. And that's what eventual championship caliber teams do. Uh, they didn't look like that at halftime of the South Carolina game, did they? That's because... There are 12 versions of teams that we get every year. And for the ones who are elite programs, the versions of teams they're putting on the field come November are the best versions of themselves. So Georgia, ignition team. Once again, they owned third down. That's the best third down team in the game when you count both sides of the ball. They are now top 10 offensively. They're top 10 defensively. May very well be the best team in the country. Let's continue moving because I've got several more games to talk about. Did you watch Florida State-Miami last night? Florida State won 27-20. to 20. 
you know, we have padlock stats, but I also have badlock stats. Badlock stats are what you think would be padlock stats, but they're just fooling you. Because it's a fog out there to, to sift through before you get to what really matters. For example, a badlock stat is still worth a paper pop. Miami outrushed Florida State 131 to 57. Now, if I told you that Friday, you'd go full on double alarm emoji upset alert on me. Miami, uh, 20 yards per completion, absent any other context. That's a pretty interesting stat. They outgained Florida State. Those stats would punk you if you saw them Friday. Those are bad luck stats. Keon Coleman was in this game. That's the problem for Miami. You know, you want to know how powerful that transfer portal is. And we look at transfer portal rankings for teams with good reason. That's the best industry metric there is to gauge how well you've done or how impactful a class you've signed. But it really comes down to individual players. And Keon Coleman yesterday, here's what's funny. He had four catches for 24 yards and yet made a huge impact on this game via special teams, that punt return at the end. He's playing hurt. He's obviously playing hurt. And he's even hurt, still better than a vast majority of guys out there. I thought, I thought Brendan Sinone over at Knowles 24-7 had a good article. It's probably still up right now. Uh, it, it was about the culture that Mike Norvell's built down there. It didn't happen overnight. Like, they planted the seeds a few years ago. And, you know, some folks looked around and said, we planted these seeds last night. Where's the crop? I'm going to drop my pen, Jesse. Where's the crop? Well, that's, that's not the way the harvest actually works. But now you're finding out those seeds that were planted a couple of years ago, all of a sudden, like you got guys on special teams. Some of them are walk-ons. Like it's not just Keon Coleman is, is his point. Um, it's just that Keon Coleman will grab the headlines. But you've got a team. It's not just individuals. They're not winning via mercenary acquisition. They are adding cherries on top in the form of Keon Coleman. But there's a foundation there. I don't think the rest of the country probably appreciates because I don't think Florida State's played in enough marquee games, really including this game last night. Imagine saying that about that rivalry a couple of decades ago. But even this game last night, I don't think people have really zeroed in like they will if Florida State's a playoff team and you get a month's worth of specials and buildup. And then all of a sudden you'll start seeing some of that stuff highlighted and you'll start having more of the rest of the country, otherwise agnostic towards Florida State, start to say, wow, that's an actual program. That guy, who's that guy? Mike what? Mike Norva? That guy, that guy's built a program down there. Good for him. And then they'll start talking like they discovered this. And the rest of us will be saying, welcome to the party, friend. Better late than never, I guess. It's interesting gauging the reaction to this game, though. Uh, this is something you got to guard against. I am warning you, kids, if you're new to college football, I'm warning you. Don't be saying stuff like, well, yeah, Florida State beat Miami, but they barely got past them. And I'm not even saying this just because it's a rivalry game. I am telling you, there is not a wide gap in these rosters. You fool yourself sometimes. Like, rankings do not magically coalesce into on-field result. You can't just put a number by one team and not have a number next to another team and magically just have it play out that way like it's a video game on the field. The team talent composition for these two rosters actually favors Miami. If, if, talent just being one of the ingredients it takes to win. Miami, according to the 24-7 team talent composite, is number 12. Florida State's 20. And so over the course of a season, Florida State's a much better team than Miami this year. But they don't play a season on Saturdays. They play one game, four quarters. And so if some things don't go your way, you're in a dogfight. The other team, who also has pretty talented players, is allowed to try as well and salvage their season and circle you as their Super Bowl. 
it would have surprised me if this wasn't a close game. We talked about this Thursday. We had this on high upset alert potential. And so, I mean, I, I looked at it and I said, good for Florida State. And the other thing to remember, guys, is this is not Georgia. This is not Alabama. This team hasn't been there year after year. They're experiencing it for the first time. I've never climbed a mountain other than Pine Mountain in Harris County, Georgia. Beautiful this time of year. But I would imagine a mountain climber would tell you, brother, the first time you get up there and you're experiencing it all for the first time and you're experiencing every one of the elements that's working against you because nature does not want a human existing at that altitude, boy, it can be really, really, really surreal. It can affect you all different kinds of ways. Now, if you go up there a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh time, all of a sudden you're a veteran and you understand what to expect. Well, Florida State's breathing this air for the first time. Florida State is walking the tightrope for the first time. And we talk every year about how long November is. In reality, it's the same four weeks as all the other months in the season, but it's really not. Ask Washington. Ask Florida State. Ask some of these teams that are contending for a legitimate shot in the playoff for the first time how long this has felt. I mean, September must feel like an eternity ago for Mike Norvell right now. Uh, as for Miami, they uh, last night lose by seven. That wouldn't be the end of the world, but you pair that with the loss to Georgia Tech and North Carolina and NC State. Emory Williams out uh, trying to stretch for a first down last night. Big Emory Williams fans on this show, by the way. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke came back in. And uh, so the rest of their season, I mean, they could be anywhere from six and six to eight and four. They got Louisville and BC left. I thought Gabby over at um, our Miami 24-7 site does a great job covering that program. And Gabby put out a stat there. Six Miami freshmen totaled 300 snaps. And that's what they had to do. Told you that in the spring. It's what they got to do. I will continue to preach patience with this team. Um, program. Not, not just team. Program. Because I'll, I'll take seven and five. Like, I'll take it if I parlay that with the idea that next year – that's when I expect a quantum leap. Now, if I'm sitting here this time next year, and I'm talking six and six, seven and five, I'm singing a much different tune about Mario Cristobal, the staff, Miami, et cetera. Uh, but 2024 is the year that we circle in the spring and give me noticeable improvement this year. Florida State's already there, though. Good for Mike Norvell. We move on. The one thing about going to big noon kickoff is you, you miss all the other noon kickoffs. And so I had to wait and watch the following game today. Alabama 49, Kentucky 21. I want you to do me a favor, a little science experiment here. We were too cheap to do it ourselves, but you guys can do this. Go buy two sodas. I would prefer Dr. Pepper. You go buy whatever you want to. But I want you to set them on a table. And I want you to just open one, and then I want you to shake the other one as violently as you can for 15 seconds, and then I want you to open that one. Because you, are, you have the same product in each hand, but you're going to get a much different reaction from bottle B as opposed to bottle A. And what I have just done is I have described the difference in September Bama versus November Bama. Because if you didn't know any better, you would think Nick Saban traded the entire team and has imported a new staff, new team. And in reality, none of that's happened. Not even a quarterback change outside of one random week three occurrence at South Florida. None of that's happened. What's happened is, Coaches have rolled up their sleeves. Players have rolled up their sleeves. They've gone to work. They've figured things out. Cream has started to rise. And even in what should have been a classic letdown spot yesterday, they just rolled. 
because that's what really, really good teams do. That's what ignition teams do. That's what teams that are hitting their stride do. I want you to think about that for a second. Now, Bama goes and they beat LSU, and they got this sleepy 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff at Kentucky. And by the way, everyone after the LSU game is talking about the SEC title. Everyone's looking down the road, and nobody in the building did. And they got up 21-0 on Kentucky, and the game was really never in doubt. Milrow, three passing touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns. I want you to do another favor for me. You start talking about, I'm not going to do the Heisman thing because I don't, I don't really talk Heisman a lot on the show, but just think about the, the best players in the country right now. I think the, the well is still tainted on Milrow because you cannot get out of your mind some of the first things you saw from him. And some of the first things you saw from him this year were just atrocious, terrible quarterback play. But if you chop off the early part of the season, if you just go amnesia, and all you can remember is the last few weeks you've seen him play, that's one of the best quarterbacks in the country because they fully utilized his skill set. When I was in Tuscaloosa a couple of weeks ago, the Friday before the LSU game, I told you guys, I worked out at Bama's facility. I'm walking out. On Friday, Tommy Reese was walking in, the offensive coordinator. Talked to him for a second. Said, how do you feel? I said, good. Think we got some things figured out in the bye week. I didn't know what that meant at the time. I didn't press him on it. It looks like they figured some things out offensively in the bye week. Defensively, they're what they've been all year. They, they can get after the quarterback. Uh, they are relentless on the back end. They'll give up a play every now and then. Uh, but you're going to have to take it. They're not laying down. You don't just have bodies all over the field like you did last year. So that's a, it's a credit to coaching, man. It's not Nick, Nick Saban hired all of the staff, but it's, it's a staff top-to-bottom job that's being done there right now. And it's resume versus real time. And this is going to be a growing debate. It's already kind of there, but you're going to continue as we shave down the weeks until conference title Saturday and, and then selection Sunday. You're going to have those debates of what if. What if Ohio State or Michigan is undefeated? What if Georgia's, well, if Georgia's undefeated, it means Bama's out. But uh, what if Florida State's undefeated? What if you've got Texas who has a head-to-head win? You've seen all the scenarios. It's going to be resume versus real time. Because Bama's resume includes, obviously, a loss to Texas earlier in the year and some performances that left a lot to be desired. And that's resume because you have to bake in the entire body of work. And I'm a proponent of that, by the way. But if you go the opposite way and you go real time, like what does this one-loss team, let's say Bama wins the SEC title. At that point, you've baked in a win against Georgia, by the way. Uh, What does this team right now look like? Uh, there aren't four better. There aren't three better than that version of Bama at that point. And that would be a very, very spirited debate. Uh, there's a part of me that hopes we experience it. There's another part that hopes we don't experience it. And it's just, it's a classic duality of host, I guess, as Meemaw would say. That Bama-Georgia game is not hypothetical anymore. We have locked that one in for the SEC title. As of last week, FanDuel had a line on the game of minus four and a half in favor of Georgia. I'll have plenty of time to break that game down. Not worried about that, but just wanted to throw that out there. I've got some added takeaways on more games here. You know, no, t- time is not an issue. I don't care. Time's not an issue. This is, this is internet, baby. This is, this is streaming. So we go three hours if we want to. We could have a telethon in real time if we wanted to, but we don't have a bank of phones. And I don't think that CBS would appreciate me using the Josh Foundation as the charity of choice. So we're going to forego that idea, but I'm about to talk to you about several more games after I take a sip from the chalice, of course.
Uh, good crowd. Good, robust crowd tonight watching live. Uh, like a ninth of you have liked the video, so do me a favor and click that little thumbs up button. Show that you care, please. What in the world happened to Tennessee yesterday? They got body bagged. Missouri ran all over Tennessee, literally. 36-7 to the final. This was the most stunning result of Saturday to me. Even more stunning than Oklahoma State. I'm going to talk about that in a second. They held Tennessee to 3.6 yards per carry. Missouri just undressed them. They got pantsed. And the, the thing about it is what I thought would be a benefit for Tennessee ended up not mattering. If they won yesterday and Georgia lost, the following week the SEC East would be on the line. Now, as it turns out, Georgia won, so it was going to be irrelevant. Tennessee didn't know that. They played several hours before Georgia. So they had everything to play for. Don't let history be rewritten on this. Tennessee had everything to play for in this game and laid as big an egg as I've seen them lay under uh, Josh Heupel. Now, look, as much as I say that, I hear my Missouri viewers saying, what are you talking about? Like, we didn't have anything to do with that. Oh, they had a ton to do with it. Cody Schrader, 205 yards rushing, 116 yards receiving. That is the first SEC player go 200 and 100 in a game. I mean, that's, that's significant. And Eli Drinkwitz, you know, we've got a nice little piece of video that we recorded in August that we're waiting to release at the opportune moment. Eli Drinkwitz has done a phenomenal job, and that's a staff that's very underrated. It's not just the head coach. You look at the caliber of staff that he's put together in Columbia quietly, because most of what happens in Columbia happens quietly. It doesn't, doesn't resonate and reverberate around the SEC like something happening in Gainesville. That's a great staff, very underrated staff, and they're getting the job done, man. They got Florida and Arkansas left. UCF. Took Oklahoma State apart yesterday. Reminded me of the Kansas State game last year. We had major concern on this game. I, um, I told you Thursday that Oklahoma State had had five consecutive weeks of plus-level play. And that is a massive red flag in the betting world because you are like quadruple due down at that point. You just you don't continue to get college kids to play at that kind of level week after week. And Mike Gundy had. And then they beat Oklahoma – so you have the, the rivalry let down on top of being due down, and you want to know what that looks like when it all comes crashing down? It looks like that, 45-3. to three. UCF ran for more yards than Oklahoma State had total yards in this game. 293 they ran for. Oklahoma State was 3 of 15 on third and fourth downs. That's probably your padlock stat from this game. They were minus three turnovers. Uh, every bit of goodwill and equity they had built up just evaporated down there in Orlando. Gus Malzahn special, it's like clockwork, every November. does not matter what his record is. It is going to happen. It's just, whomst will it happen to? And the unfortunate victim this year was Oklahoma State. The Big 12 standings are like spilling spaghetti all over the place. It's just a mess. Texas controls their own destiny. If they win out, they're in. Outside of that, as best we could tell, almost everyone's in this thing. And let me remind you people, Iowa State is still alive. Iowa State plays Texas this week. Iowa State gets them at home. Texas is going to Ames. Texas is favored by, check it for me, Jesse, I want to say seven points or thereabouts. Matt Campbell, we got our shot, man. We, we got our shot. This is just a conversation between me and him right now. We got our shot. 
they gave up on us. They sold us down the river, but I didn't burn my t-shirts. I haven't worn them on air. I haven't burned my t-shirts, so let's just keep an eye. Keep an eye on it. I'm not saying that that was totally off the radar for the Once Upon a Saturday tour trip. I just know that I would have taken unbelievable amounts of ridicule if we went to the game. Uh, next up, LSU 52, Florida 35. Just a little Jaden Daniels appreciation segment here for a moment. Jaden Daniels is a living, breathing American hero. Look at him. The only thing stopping him is the back of the end zone at this point. He had 372 through the air and three touchdowns yesterday. But he thought to himself, self, quarterbacks have thrown for 372 or more before. So I'm going to go ahead and run for 234 and add another couple of tutties, and I'm going to do what no quarterback has ever done. LSU had 701 yards yesterday. He accounted for over 600 of them and five touchdowns. Translation, that's a Heisman front runner. Front runner, not contender. That's my Heisman front runner. I don't care how many games this team has lost. It's not his problem. The defense sucks. In fact, Jaden Daniels probably do a half-decent job at DB for them right now, but it wouldn't be in Brian Kelly's best interest to try it out. So there's my ballot. They don't give me a Heisman vote. I commit the crime of actually caring too much about this sport and watching every game. They don't want people like that voting on the Heisman. Uh, please don't mistake me. I'm not bitter about that. I'm just saying I've seen some of you folks who do have a vote. Maybe I am. You know what? Maybe I'm a little bitter about it. I never realized that until now. I'm just asking, how come other people get things I don't get? That's all I'm asking. I've asked the same thing since I was a kid. I want all the credit and none of the blame, and I just want to be able to have whatever I want to have. Other than that, I'm very humble. I'm not spoiled whatsoever. Uh, let's go to this Washington game for a second. Washington 35, Utah 28. Kublik just texted me. He has endorsed my Jaden Daniels for cornerback movement. But why not? Just put him at DB. Look, if Travis Hunter can do it at wide receiver, why not play your quarterback both ways? They used to do it in the 50s. Why not? Uh, Washington got by Utah 35-28. Again, I think we have people out there suffering from a chronic ailment in November in college football. Meemaw called it the overinflation of expectation syndrome, and that's when you get this little number next to your name and you're undefeated. People continue to just elevate and elevate and elevate their expectation. And in reality, you are who you are. And all of a sudden, they think you should win by 8 this week and 12 the next week and 20 the following week. Rankings do not coalesce into on-field results. They're just numbers that humans put next to teams' names. The teams have to go play. Utah's really good. Washington's really good. And last night, Washington gets by them in a dogfight, and I got people out here asking, what's wrong with Washington? Nothing's wrong. What's wrong with you? If you think that this is something to look down on, what's wrong with you? Did you watch the game, by the way? I highly doubt a lot of you who are saying such things did. And if you did and you still don't get it, I guess you just don't get it. We're trying our best to, to show you the proper way in this sport. This was always destined to be a four-quarter game. We talked about this on the Thursday show. Just like FSU-Miami, it would have shocked me if this was a blowout. I expected the close game. That should have been the expectation. It was 28-24 at the half. Do you know what the second half score in this game was? Washington won the second half 11-zip. That's coming to play. That's the old fabled halftime adjustment, as certain members of my family love to talk about so much. Uh, they are at Oregon State this week, are the Washington Huskies, and we will be there. Whomst amongst us thought I would see Washington at least two times this year, in person. 
Me, maybe. Pac-12 Pate is not going to watch this conference fade off into the abyss and not attend every possible game that I can attend. I'll be there if no one else will be there. Shameful. Couldn't be us. Imagine not being at Washington, Oregon State Saturday. Couldn't be us. Next up, don't have much to say about Auburn blanking Arkansas 48-10. It was painful to watch. Auburn ran for 354, two touchdowns. Arkansas had 225 total. Just a lifeless effort, lifeless team right now. And a lot, a lot is being asked about Sam Pittman and what his future there is, one of 12 on third downs. They don't have an answer. I mean, there, there's no answer for this year's team. I think that's been pretty obvious. They've got two more games, FIU and Missouri. And they are 3-7 and seven right now. They're not going bowling. Uh, so you've, you've, you've got significant change that has to happen. At this point, the question is, does it bleed up to head coach? Are they going to make wholesale changes there? Neither would surprise me right now. And I, I don't know that decisions have been made. I'm sure there are serious conversations happening up there. If there were an exit, I don't think it would look like Jimbo's exit today. Let me just put it that way. So... Uh, hogsports.com, Trey Biddy, those folks are right on top of this. Uh, not some rando on Twitter. If it's going to be broken and it's legitimate, Trey Biddy and the folks will break it. But in the meantime, I know it's tough to watch. I hear you guys. I, I want positive change for you as well. My thinking with Arkansas, similar to my thinking with a lot of programs, in college football, there are guys who get fired all the time that I believe – if they were just given unlimited time, they'd eventually put the right pieces together. But you, ju you don't get to do that. I know you don't. I'm, I'm a realist. I understand when you invest like you do in these programs and these teams, you don't get the head coach in there and, and allow him to say, all right, well, let me try it a few different ways. Can't do that. You got 12 games a year. You don't have time to mix and match and experiment. You, you go do that in the MAC. You go do that in Conference USA. You go do that in the Sun Belt. All due respect. Uh, you don't do that in the SEC, nor, nor should you, nor should you. Uh, Texas, 29, TCU, 26. <sighs> I sit here behind this microphone, and I tout Texas's ability to close out games, and I quote Sark about how intentional they've been about fourth quarters, and then they, they got a 26-6 lead in this game. They win by three. Uh, they were up on Kansas State 27-7. They won by three. They were up on Houston 21 to nothing. They won by seven. How much gas we got in the tank here? All gas, no brakes. How much gas we got in the tank? They're winning. That's what's most important. They're winning games, and they have bought themselves wiggle room. They only got one loss, and that's to Oklahoma. They got themselves wiggle room. Well, a little bit. Uh, you, you can't wiggle in terms of adding another loss on the resume, but it, it's a tough pill to swallow because as you win, you lose Brooks, the running back, who has been a stalwart, one of the bell cows of this team. Jonathan Brooks over 1,100 yards for this year, out for the season yesterday, tore his ACL, still got Baxter, uh, but it's, it's a complimentary game in the backfield these days. It Very rarely do you watch someone going feature back. Now it's different in a Sark offense. I get that. Quinn Ewers came back yesterday. So hopefully, fingers crossed, they'll be okay. Uh, their schedule is tough. It's very tough. They go to Iowa State this week. That is the second leg of back-to-back -back road stretch. And then they come home and play Texas Tech on short rest the day after Thanksgiving. Not easy. 
Not, I, know, I know a lot of you look in a vacuum out there and you say, Iowa State's not good. Texas Tech's not good. Careful. This time of year, careful. It's, it's very thin air. Texas is another team. They're breathing this air for the first time. They're already showing you signs of being shaky down the stretch. I'm just saying, if, if we watch them go up to Ames, Iowa Saturday night, and it's close, don't, don't sit in there and be shocked. <laughs> How is Texas struggling with these guys? You put some respect on Iowa State's name, unless they get beat by 30, in which case we won't cover the game very much next week. But if you do have some confidence in Iowa State, who knows, maybe I will this week. Maybe the Ramen Noodle Express will feature the uh, Cyclones. It has a time or three this year. But if you're so interested, if you have some confidence, FanDuel has a place for you. It's FanDuel.com, actually. Or download the app. That's what I do. Right now, new FanDuel customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed. Guaranteed. Big G word there. Here's what you have to do. Go find yourself a money line. I don't care how big the favorite is. As big a favorite as you want. Go bet five bucks. If you win, if that team just wins straight up, you get 150 bucks added. It's probably the easiest proposition known to man. And I've got it right there for you now. FanDuel.com backslash CFB promotion. If you don't remember what I just said, or you don't feel like rewinding or even typing that in, just look at the description right under this show on YouTube. It's there. Click on it. They'll know we sent you. Everyone wins. Ramen Noodle Express, uh, Friday Night Lines, FanDuel has put wind in our sails for all of those different mechanisms. And so we have a lot of fun with this. Uh, be very responsible about it. I'm not sitting here telling you to bet money you don't have. Uh, in fact, I, I caution against some of the things that FanDuel would prefer that you traffic in. And most of you do anyway. You ignore my advice wholesale. So whatever. Fan, FanDuel's getting the better side of the proposition no matter what. But we're very happy to be partnered with them. And um, they've... They've made it a lot of fun this year, and I think it's probably just the beginning of some really, really fun stuff we could do. I mean, I got an idea. I'm meeting with them tomorrow. I got an idea I'm going to drop on those folks tomorrow, and I know they're watching right now. So this is a teaser for an off-the-record meeting that won't be broadcast tomorrow. But I, I, got a, I got an idea I think all of you would love. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. In the meantime, how about some early best bets for this week? I'm not going to beat around the bush. Ramen Noodle Express still well above 500. We went five and six yesterday. And it's a tough five and six because what happened, 
This is called excuse making. What happened was the model had about 16 games it keyed on as best bets. I, foolishly, went and decided that I was going to cherry pick in the model. And so the games I picked went five and six. You want to know what the games I didn't pick went? Try five and oh. Yes, friends, it was that kind of Saturday. So you know what I may do this week? We may, we may empty both chambers. And we may fill this little graphic up here that Colin makes and then some. We're starting with Troy. Troy minus 14. John Sumrall, excellent job being done at Troy. And they are rolling towards what could possibly be a conference championship. Uh, they have got 14 they're laying this week. We think they'll win by more than that. And also, Middle Tennessee, minus 7. We like, we like the Blue Raiders. So we're taking Troy. We're taking MTSU. This is just the beginning of what will be a loaded sheet for us this week. It's been a loaded show, man. Um, got it in in an hour 15, a tight hour 15 at that. This is the stretch run in this sport, okay? Stuff's going to be flying. It's going to be happening very, very quickly. I have shows every Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. I am telling you it's imperative. You need to be following on the social channels. At Late Kick Josh on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh on Instagram. I was on the sideline at Penn State yesterday. Let me give you an idea of what you would have seen if you were following on Instagram. So you saw Sharon Moore, the interim head coach yesterday, in his post game. He's teared up, and you saw that on the Fox broadcast. Well, I got the eye, Josh, here, and I just followed him all around the field, followed him right up the tunnel. Broadcast is not bringing you that. They're, they're off air. They're not following him around. They're not showing you the kinds of things and access that we get pregame because they're not on air yet. I put that in the Instagram story every week. We'll be at Oregon State Saturday night. I'll show you things you would otherwise never see. And we maintain respectability and we, we honor boundaries. We don't show anything we're not supposed to. But only way to see that is following on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh, Friday Night Lines emanates from a hotel room somewhere where we're at every Friday night. We add several best bets. We make you money on Friday nights. You can't find it unless you're following on Instagram, at Lake Kick Josh. So, a million different reasons to do it. You choose how you want to live your life. I just appreciate you guys that do tag along. All right, I got to go to bed because it's been exhausting this weekend, but fun. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care, have a great start to your week, and God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. 
Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.